You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Alrighty, guys. Welcome back to another... I told you I was going to do it. Let's do it. Is this like a copyright infringement at all? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Because we're giving... This Credit. is the song Chosen. Or The Trouble from The Chosen. Uh, I need to get to the chorus. You can hear that, all right? right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the reason we were playing the song Trouble from The Chosen. I, I like a music into the like the background of this podcast. That was nice. Yeah. That was cool. Well, we do that every a week. nice little feature. We just never listen to our own podcast. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, um, but there is a song, and I think that song's called Missouri. Um, you'd have to search. You'd have to dig real deep into YouTube to find it. Because yes. even when I want to hear it, you got to dig. You got to dig to find it. But that song "Trouble" is kind of uh, "Here Comes Trouble." Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the topic of this week's podcast it's, about. It's the theme. Yeah, trouble. Here comes trouble, and that's ultimately that's what invasive species, overstocked forest. Um, unhealthy plants, all kinds of things should be singing when they see us coming or see the crew roll in because it's like, here comes trouble, guys. Because what we're ultimately talking about this week is change and how to prepare for it. And I don't – everyone is going to be preparing for change differently, and I think that change on a landscape or on a property holds different meaning to everybody, whether it's sentimental, you're scared to change. You've had that property. You've had memories. You've created memories on it over the course of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever the case may be. Or maybe you just got a new property and you bought it and you know what you paid for it. And you're like, I'm changing it this much. Should I be like 
Is that okay? Should I be doing that? But whatever boat you find yourself in, you have to prepare yourself mentally to know that change is about to happen and it's not going to look the same. If you're doing the techniques that we're talking about to the degree that we share each week on, it's not the goal is for it to not look the same. You want that to be your theme song rolling up when you open up that gate to the hunting property. Trouble. On growing Trouble. season, when you got the chainsaw on the back, the herbicide's loaded up, you're about to go make a change. Things are improving, but how do you best prepare for that change and that that phasing of change? What what do you do? What are the processes that you go through? So that's what we're talking about this week. And I would I would I would hazard to guess and say that this here is the biggest hang up point for people actually doing habitat work. This is what causes analysis paralysis. Absolutely. To the, the, the to the uh what do they call it when you to the medicated degree mm-hmm. to where some people can get can run into so much analysis paralysis with with change, just the word change on the farm that you almost have to take anxiety medicine because you're like, I'm not sure I'm prepared for it. Yeah. And some of the biggest changes that we're talking about is timber harvest. Yep. Fence building. Edge feathering. Edge feathering and cattle management. Because we both were, these are things that Matt and I are, are going through currently. And how we're preparing for mm-hmm. these main changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those four, we got anything else that you want to talk about? I mean, fire is not really, you know, that that's something else. But let's talk about timber harvesting, yep. building fence, cattle, and edge feathering. Because those are the four main topics that you and, you and I are doing over the next several months. Yep. And, you know, for a lot of guys, when it comes to buying a farm and we say this statement a lot where if you have a farm in timber country which is a lot of our listeners because you find it in the north you find it in the south you find it in the midwest seems like most recreational properties have some timber aspect to them and a lot of cases it's more than 50 percent of the farm is timber yeah for those guys we say the very worst thing you can do is not touch it for 10 years correct if you bought the farm and nobody's touched it for 10 years or 20 years, the very worst thing you can do is let another day go by without you doing some sort of management to it. Yeah. Um, especially if your goals are white-tailed deer, wild turkey, rough grouse. Bob Whites. Bob Whites. Um, or even woodland birds. Yep. So much of the landscape we see that has that would be technically called woods or timber is in bad shape, and it needs some sort of management. Even the best forest that's got monster uh, payout coming, major bucks to be made, not big bucks, but the greenbacks, um, greenback bucks, if they're coming, still there's work to be done. You could be doing timber stand improvement. You could be removing invasives. You could be... um, treating uh natives that have gotten a little bit too aggressive um 
or have colonized an area. Mm -hmm. You can just be trying to diversify the forest. That's something that so many people, the very worst thing you can do is nothing at all. And that's how most people are managing their farms. Here's, here's For fear of doing something wrong. Here's the, I don't want to say takeaway, but this thought just came to me. You should be more fearful or scared of the slow changes than the fast changes on your farm. What I mean by that is the slow degrading over every single year that you don't even see happening. That's what you should be more scared of than what you are in control of when you go out and attack the timber, the invasives, and all these other things. You're in charge. You're the management behind and the reason behind that type of change. What you're not controlling is the slow change and the degradation of habitat, the infestation or growing of invasive species slowly every single year that's taking over an understory or the trees that are dying out or maybe they just aren't growing at a healthy rate. That's the change that people accept and are okay with. That's more detrimental than the change that's positive. Yeah. That's what people don't understand, and and hopefully that sink in to say change is good. Yeah, change is a great thing for for many people, and for all for all the people changing um, your management practices, your landscape, your the the way you're doing things. Uh, we said it. I'm stealing it, and I I don't even know who to quote it to because I know the person that said it probably heard it from somebody else, and I think he even quoted it. But if you want to make small changes. Change the way you do things. If you want to make big changes, change the way you see things. Mm-hmm. Guys, we've been here for over 300 podcasts. And we haven't been kicked off yet. That's a good thing. Um, the other thing is, if we aren't aware, if you're just joining us and you haven't listened to us very long, this is kind of our bread and butter message, is the fact that small changes, adding some feeders, doing mineral, scratching out a tenth of an acre food plot with a rake and blowing the... That's not what we're going for. That's not what we're about. What we need to be about to make an impact, a positive impact on our land, is the drastic changes Mm -hmm. to say, I'm tired of the old, old way of doing things. I'm tired of the way the farm sets. I need to fix this. And it's just like, you're tired of the mess in your house? It's going to get real messy before it gets Betty better, and, and and no one's going to come and clean up that mess for you. No, and, and at the very least, well, there is a man, or there there is a thing that will come and That's clean right. it up for you by the name of God, and when he does it, it's pretty stinking drastic. And, and, and those are called acts of God: <laughs> <laughs> tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, wildfires, bugs, uh, beetles, bu- disease. Yep. Yeah, the, the plagues. Yeah. All those things you heard about Old Testament God are are true. And guess and he, what? And he's still alive today. And That's the way the the landscape is managed, the way God managed it is pretty drastic because it is a cursed world. And if and that's not in your control either, I'll be the no, first to tell you no. that. So, But you can kind of replicate it with a little bit of thought and a yeah. little bit of uh, proper planning. And you can manage pretty drastic yourself. And Matt and I both... So item number one um, that Matt and I both are preparing for is a timber harvest. Yeah. So how do you prepare yourself for change in your timber? 
Well, I think first and foremost, you have to obviously know what you're dealing with, right? The timber has to have this predetermined name or future site that you want it to be. If it doesn't have that, if you're just willy nilly, you're not gonna go. You're not gonna go forward with. with you're letting the logger depict that for you, right? I I know based on what's growing there and what I need present on the property, what the forest should be, and so. I also can see right now of where it's at. So if I have the current and I know I can envision through a plan or a map what the future is, then I have all I have to figure out is the, is the in between. And for for me, there's value in some of the trees that are there. So the only right and proper thing to do is take advantage of that natural resource and log it. So yep. so it's is that change? Someone's gonna say, "Well, you gotta, you guys do this every single week. You prescribe this. You're used to that. That's, you know, it's awesome." There's still trees, and it's still my property or your property, or or a client's property that we're saying this. It's it's a simple fact that yeah, is it change for for us to get used to? Yeah, absolutely. However, I have a clear starting point of an inventory, and I have a clear ending point. And I want to get to the ending point the fastest and the best way possible. And the route to take is the straightest point. And that's a timber harvest to remove walnuts and in certain areas to remove uh, red oaks that I know aren't going to survive uh, uh, an intense fire that's going to happen in that, in that unit. The bedding thicket. Red oaks and black oaks? Yeah, and black yeah. oaks. Yeah, so yeah. you're just yeah. saying the red oak family. Red oak family, yeah. correct. So yeah. I, I, I'm I'm so your your major harvest is walnuts, correct? With oaks mixed in, if they are of size, in in specific areas, yeah. yeah. Where I'm going to have a backing fire, probably not going to go nearly as intense unless there's three or four together. Then I'll take some of those of of the red oak and black oaks. But where it is a bedding thicket and it's going to be a lot of debris, a lot of heat. I'm taking them out now because I don't. I mean, it it doesn't do me any good for it to die standing right there. No. When there's a a, a, a monetary value now. Yeah. Sure. Would it be a host and a you know a dead snag for things? Sure, that's great, and I don't have an issue with that. But I have other trees that can accomplish that too, that aren't of any timber value. So I'm going to take it out. Yeah. So again, that's the clearest path. How do you prepare mentally? Because because what's mine's the, pretty drastic. The, the difference for me. Is that I've owned the property for a month, going on two months now. Yeah. And so I haven't grown attached to things. Sure, I seen it, I fell in love with it the, when, when my wife and I looked at it, but it's not like I have all these crazy, amazing memories that are like, oh, I don't want to change any of that. No, I don't I have to deal with that. But it but might be loud. You, but for you, moving over to the shirt, you're, you're, um, you've seen this property and hunted it for, for many more years. Yeah. And have more hunts and family, you know, let's say ties to some things. And, and I think even 17 years well, I've been on this property. Even if it's you're, you're talking about this property and then future changing, getting into the family farm logging, regardless, how do you prepare for that differently than, than what I said? Yeah. So, like I said, the, the, the farm that Chad and I purchased, Whistling Woodlands. Has confirm the name. Confirm the name. You, did Whistling you Woodlands. It? You announced. I don't it. know if I've announced it or not, but I had a lot of guys behind the scenes messaging, texting, and 
email and saying they like Whistling Woodlands Ranch as the name for the for oh. the for the for the place. So that's what we're going to call it. Here, yeah. The the boss voted on it and then Chad voted on it and then I said, "Yeah, I agree with you guys." So um the boss being my wife. And so anyway, um 17 years I've been on this place. So like there's trees that I've shot deer out of, I've hunted, I've leaned against chasing turkeys. That I'm like, I know that tree's going to have to go mm-hmm. to make any kind of money and then also to 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 reach our goals, to achieve our goals of a healthy forest, diverse forest, and one that's more sustainable in the future for future harvest. Because the way it sits right now, it's not set up on a system of we're going to have some good timber harvest in the future. Right no. now it's overstocked. It got right. hammered years ago. It right. didn't have TSI done. So the biggest prepare the the biggest thing that i can do to prepare for it right now is all mental f- for for us in this timber harvest because yeah. it's going to be drastic change right and you know you're going to have to endure neighbor talk the the chirps from the neighbors saying i can't believe what you guys are doing up there them boys is crazy and there's going to be the 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 stuff in my head going are we really headed on the right track like this looks pretty drastic, and it, which anybody, I mean, I've been around logging operations for a lot of years from a consulting side, and I know what it's going to look like, but still the idea of a skitter cutting those trees, I think it was all of the the environmental talk growing up that we got to save their trees, and here I am now knowing better, going, well, that's not necessarily mm-hmm. 100% truthful. This is the direction we need to head. And so trying to prepare myself mentally is one of the biggest things that we're going to do. Next up is going to be the proper layout. So we are going to be doing some of these small clear cuts or bedding thickets, as we call them. Um, and and ultimately, we're basically going to lay out anywhere from one to five acre areas and say anything in there that has monetary gains for you guys, the logger, take it. Because ultimately, we want this to be a young forest pocket. And some of these areas, we're going to end up treating the stumps as they start yeah. to grow back because we're trying to create these little meadows or these or little forest. Herbaceous openings yes. rather than young forest openings. Yes. I don't want to have to worry about them growing up over time and have yeah. to get a good hot fire in there and set it back. I just want it to be herbaceous base to where when they do get burned every three years or every five years, they're very attractive to turkeys, and they're mm-hmm. very beneficial to deer. Um, and so that's that's ultimately the goal. Um, so we're going to have to – that's another – that's number two on how to prepare is the proper layout. So I'm going to hand it over to the logger and his crew and say, here's the bedding areas. We're going to paint out those areas, paint the trees that we yep. – the perimeter of those clear cuts, and let them go to town. And then the next thing is going to be prioritizing the stand locations, the trees – the roost sites for turkeys and say, no, these areas don't get touched. Mm-hmm. We need to leave these pockets for roost trees, hard mass. And ultimately, the landscape did it itself with the crests of these yeah. crests of these hills. There's already giant rock outcroppings. Loggers aren't able to get in there anyway. So yep. we've kind of done that anyway. Um, and then the next number three is in preparing for timber harvest is – skitter or road layout yeah and sure. making sure that 
I can use a logger to create roads for me. So when he's done, I can do a little bit of work, clean them up, and I didn't have to do the heavy lifting to create these trails. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's ultimately the three items. Mentally prepared and then finding the next things to um, really lay out where I want aggressive cutting. And even on the south-facing slopes or west-facing slopes, I may say cut a little bit more aggressive because I want this to be more like a savanna or more like a woodland. But that's that's the point. I guess that that I said reiterated is you have the end the end goal. You know what it is that you want to create, so you can move forward with something because you know what the end goal is going to be for yeah. that specific given area. It's just now utilizing the right tool to accomplish that. But, yeah. but I think a lot of people are apprehensive to move forward because they're just so uncertain. Not necessarily of, of what it's going to look like, but uncertain that that's the right prescription long-term yeah. for that area. But when you have that knowledge, it's much easier to make that decision. And I think, too, that the preparedness of, of like and the anticipation of what's to come, like, what are my goals? My goal is to make the healthiest forest in the neighborhood. My goal is to create something that has a legacy effect. It's long-lasting. It's beneficial. And it's like the same thing of like, okay, Matt, you played golf growing up. Yep. I want to be the best golfer in high school or in my conference, or I want to be the best golfer in my division of co- of collegiate sports. Yep. What does that entail? Does that mean you just have to get there mentally? No, that means you have to put the work in. Oh, yeah. You have to spend the hours at the driving range or spend the hours of your own time at the course playing and building yourself up and preparing to become the best and if you want your farm to be the best, you have to endure the trials. You have to endure the practice. You have to endure the times that you don't necessarily want to do, but you have to to get where you want to be. And so when it comes to a timber operation, you have to endure that ugly effect of trees are on the ground, skitters all over the place. You have to endure that knowing two years from now, I'll have I'll reach the top. I'll reach that that goal that I set pre-harvest that was, I want to make this a healthy forest. I want to make this a beautiful woodland. I want to make this a beautiful savanna. It takes time. You have to, almost anything in life, if you're trying to become the best or get to the top, you have to endure some pain. You have to endure some suffering. And that suffering in the form of timber harvest comes when the trees are hitting the ground, when the tops are still visible, all that has to when it's when part of the process pounding your roads and yeah. you've got a, a dozer deck that's compacted and trees are getting... you see some young trees with skitter marks on them where the bark's been knocked knocked off that's part of it that's every logging operation period known to man that's yeah. happened the then, only uh, time you don't see that a lot is in pine country where it's pine plantation and they wagging them out and they wa- and they and they've got a they feller buncher and they're just cutting them lay- but that's not even realistic because it's a monoculture of pines. Correct. So that's those situations, I don't care what logger you have, are, are essentially unavoidable. Yeah. That's just part of the that's just part of the process. But again, we know that good comes from this when we have a plan and direction to, to achieve. What what's some of the other ones that um, cows. Cows. So, you know, a little update on the on the whistling woodlands that we did uh, this week was cows arrived and bulls. So yep. we threw out the heifers and uh, put the heifers on a pasture. 
and then we threw in the bowls. Uh, and kind of the idea behind that is um, we we selected a breed of cows that are um, known for really good heat tolerance. Um, they're also known for uh, very unproblematic calvings. Um, so there's not a lot of pulling. There's not a lot of calves getting hung hung and dying in the birth canal. Uh, a very low-maintenance right. cattle uh, or a cattle breed. And so we put those out there, and so we're going to have the bulls in them with them for about 60 days, so towards the end of August. And so hopefully we're going to be set up for a, a, a fun calving season of April and May. And um, so we selected South Poles. They pulled in, kicked them out, and I think Chad and I, we had this good laugh while we were doing this. So, you know, it's been a hectic part of our life, uh, season of our life, building fence, trying to get ready. And I told my wife on Saturday, whatever day, I said, I never again want to buy cows and build the fence around them. Because yeah, that's no. ultimately what Chad and I were doing. Because yeah. everything lined up where it's like, okay, we're going to buy cows this fall. And a guy called me and he goes, mentor of mine, he goes, hey, Adam, I found some South Poles. Um, I don't know how, if, if you, you can gotta, find them, you but em. you got to get them. Because South Poles are pretty hard to find right now. And I'm like, really? I'm c- calling. Yeah, yeah, we agreed to price. He said, when can you get them? And the guy's like, well, I'm trying to make it easy on the guy who's handling them right now. And I'm yeah. like, when, when do you want me to get them? He goes, can you get the Bulls on Sunday? <laughs> I'm like, no, okay. Which, which it was Friday. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. And when can you get the heifers? Well, next week. What about Friday? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the fence isn't built. I, I, the perimeter fence is built. Yeah. And so, but the, 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 the interior. interior electric fences were, I mean, I've been building them for about two months now, but yeah, okay, we can take them. And now let's build a fence around them, which is a royal pain. Don't advise that to anybody, but that's yeah. what we're doing. Preparing for that. It's probably something that has taken me, you know, all the other habitat stuff can be totally, you know, I can I can get mentally prepared for that. I mean, that's what we do. It's easy for us to prepare for certain things. Preparing myself for cattle was a little bit more difficult because I've hated cows for so much of my life. Yeah, I love eating them, but I hate them on a landscape. You, you, I, I used to well, because let, improper let, management correct. made me hate them. Overgrazing. Nuisance cows, cows that like to eat food plots, cows that like to get out, and and I think I just listed the top four for all hunters that have dealt dealt with cows. Yeah. We Sca- just scared cows that run and kick and buck and push fences and tear down fences, and you can't control, you can't herd up, you can't move them efficiently, and then the ones that just weren't managed. Yep, just just. Flat they out. manage themselves for the yeah. most part, and that's where that's when you get into problems. And it's, and, e- and it's easy to be turned off when that's your experiences with cattle. Totally, I, 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 anyone can get that and understand that. But, but that's not. That's just that, that's just a, someone having cattle. That's not a cattle operation. No, there's a difference between. I think the last podcast we talked about, like there's a recreational property, and then there's a managed recreational property. You're dealing with the same thing, the same base, but the way they're handled totally different. Totally different, right? Yeah. So, so you're you're not you don't have cows to have cows. You have cows to run a cattle operation. I have cows to make money and to manage my land 
the way I see fit. And the way I see fit is I think grazing is a historical disturbance. It's a natural disturbance. It needs to happen. As much as I would love to picture the day of not having a farm payment, kick out all cows, and turn all pastures into old fields and prairie restoration, that's not native. It has to have large herbivores grazing on it. And, I mean... It would be beautiful to send a roam a whole herd of bison out there, but I know if I send them out there, they ain't stopping until the county line. Yeah, that's right. Until they get hit by a bus. Shoot, county line, they're crossing that. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm like, okay, cows are the next best thing, and so these these cows that we we've got are uh, they they they're trained by a single strand uh, poly wire, so I can put them anywhere I want with a wire around them, and uh, so they're low maintenance. And, and, and I can use that wire to replicate bison herds on a historical landscape from the standpoint of they used to move based on predators or lack of food um, or limited food. But most importantly, they move because of predators. And I can make a predator or replicate a predator by a white little wire that shocks the fire out of them. Well, you're not only you're not only doing that. There's the other. Um, and I noticed this when the bulls were there at our place. But it was, and this isn't with, with every herd, but considering where they came from recently, this is what they had offered to them. And I've seen, you know, I've both seen this breed be very uh, diverse in what they're eating. Yeah. You're not selecting a, um, a, a cow that's strictly eating, focusing on grass-only species. Yeah. It's a, it's a breed that is going to... Eat and forage on broadleafs, yeah. diversity within those pastures, and you're, as a cattle operation, moving those cows at yeah. the right appropriate times. Yeah, and Based you can on the do forages. that with Angus, but you just have to have the right management from the standpoint of smaller paddocks to where there's a mental change happening where they feel like they have to eat because they're in a small enough area that they're going to run out of food. And if they don't eat that, the other cow will. Right. But these are just so natural at it. Correct. That they just, yeah, let's eat some weeds. And so like eating giant so, ragweed is no problem. Eating common ragweed is no problem. Even eating tail. honey locusts. Yep. Uh, tail. There's another big yep. one that, um, field asters they're eating. just hammer. So, yep. um, that's for us. It was like, this is awesome. This is kind of the direction we want to head. And this is a fun story for me. Chad and I, so we we kicked him off the trailer around 5 o'clock. By 6 o'clock, we gave each other a look like, is this, is this real life? This is real life. Because <laughs> we heard <whistles> on a spot that we've never heard quail whistle. Yeah. And it was like, look at each other and we're like, is that really a quail? And he proceeded to do it for about 10 straight times. Yeah. 10 times in a row. And we're like, well, there's no mistake in that. Yeah, for and sure. And it was just like, I, I, I text the guy who told me about South Pole's a mentor, and I said, you know, to the Angus, there's the cowbird, <laughs> and to the South Pole, there's the quail. I'll choose the South Pole. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> because it was like, what in the world? And then just the very next, the day, very next day, I was out at your place. I stayed the night at your place because it's about an hour from my house, and I was trying to get up early and get those bulls loaded up. And I was standing out there drinking coffee, staring at the bulls, trying to prepare myself. And yeah. all of a sudden, quail are whistling. I'm like, I don't remember Matt talking about hearing quail whistling out here. I swore I'd heard one early, like some of the first days that we had moved in. 
and I hadn't heard him since. And I'm I'm I, between six and six thirty seven in the morning. I'm, I'll drink coffee on the front porch and had not heard that definitive. And then sure enough, you were hooked up the trailer, and I'm sitting there at the gate drinking coffee. I'm like, by golly, that is for sure a quail. Yeah, and I, I heard hearing it, and I heard three. Yeah, before that, and I'm like, okay. Um, Matt had you heard, and you were like, I heard a quail, and I'm like, okay. Well, you hadn't talked about it, and <sighs> I heard three this morning, and so I'm like, red cows, quail, maybe there's a thing, and uh, I don't care what they cost, bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, that's one of the biggest tools why we got cattle is that disturbance for for the birds, um, especially the quail. So we're going to try to replicate uh, rotational grazing, use yeah. rotational grazing, kind of replicate bison herds uh, of, of history, and try to move them around, graze them down, and then give pastures plenty of rest. Right. And I hope that in doing that, we can help the quail and help the turkeys. And um, and uh, diversify the pastures to a point where they're even more beneficial to the deer as well. Yeah. And so for us, how do we prepare for cattle? Once again, a mental thing going, okay, you know. Time. <laughs> we prepared financially oh, yeah. um, to buy them, but we also prepared, uh, okay, this is going to take more time. We're going to spend, I'll spend probably more time devoted to the cattle than I will checking cameras. And oh, doing yeah. that sort of thing because the cattle are a money maker, and they're also I look at it like this: tool. How do I manage my forest? Timber harvest, chainsaw, prescribed fire, fire, all of those. Timber harvest, they do it for me. Yep. Prescribed fire, big scale, I can manage a lot of acres in an afternoon. Yep. How can I manage my open acres that aren't food plots? Cattle. Mm-hmm. That's it. And they don't have to be a hundred percent open though either. No manage with cattle. And so either. there's going to be that like, wow, I'm 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 painting with bigger uh, brush strokes now. Yeah. I'm using f- rougher grit sandpaper. You're you're and and two, it, the cows are not only a, a way to pay for the farm, but it is it is that other additional management tool to manipulate the farm. And so yeah, for me it's completely different. My wife and I, we've got a portion that's adjacent to a road, a gravel road, albeit it's a gravel road that has very little traffic. Yeah. There's already paddocks, fenced off, done deal. That's going to be cattle-oriented. Right now it's yeah. a base of pretty much straight fescue pastures. They will be diversified, and then we'll bring um, four to five calves in, four or 500 pounds in an April time frame. Let them graze throughout the summer. Kick them off in October. That's that's all what we're doing. That's the only yeah. plan. So so, but but to tie that into the property, is that's an area that I'm I'm not going to devote to wildlife from a full on standpoint based on its proximity. I don't want to plant those acres. It is already fenced. I can show a little bit of income from a tax standpoint. That okay now there's cows here. It's operational as a farm, yeah. And so that allows me then to to take all the rest of the property and devote fully to wildlife, more oriented in that manner. And there's additional open acres to plant, but I can still introduce more annual type varieties of forages, such as Heritage Blend or Ancestry Blend or Emerge or Cattleman's Treasure. Um, those types of forages in portions of these paddocks 
maybe dove hunt over some of these freshly planted um, and just experiment a little bit too with cows and wildlife and planting, but on a scale for our property that just makes more sense. And then from that taxing situation to make it a, a farm that there's an income then now too. Yeah. And plus my wife, she has really gotten into this whole wanting animals thing and has, as, as enjoying, she loved going out and watching your guys, the, the three bulls and they're there for the week. She's just welcome just to go down and stare at them now to see them. So a little bit longer drive, a little bit longer, <laughs> not as easy as the front porch, but yeah. regardless it's there, there's, there's other reasons for that. Um, so I'm not going to have them out on, let's say, the rest of the property because ours is not managed from these large pasture paddock type situations. Yeah. Um, but however, it's an it's an easy sell. It's not like this big game changer mentally for us. It just functionally it makes sense. Yeah. And I said four things, but it's ultimately three because building fence ties in with the, that. with the cattle. And so, like, your place already had fencing. The place Shed and I yep. bought had perimeter fencing, didn't have fencing to keep them out of the creeks, keep them out of the woods. So that's a big thing. Now, right. how does a hunter prepare for more fence being built? And that's something that I'll, Chad and I will highlight in the future. But we, we're spending more money. We're spending some money to build gates in places. We don't need a gate. Sure. But by having a gate there... It means that when the cows aren't there, we'll leave the gate open. It's a nice, easy path for deer to. No, it's a pinch. It's a pinch it's point. It's a pinch point. <laughs> it's a nice pinch point for deer to come out into the food plots yeah. or, or maneuver through from bedding area to bedding area, which is kind of one of those where it's like I don't want to find deer tangled up in electric fence. No. That's not a goal. I don't want to find deer. We see that even on the property we hunt in Lebanon. We found yeah. a lot of deer hung up dead in the fence mm-hmm. because there's fences everywhere. Yep. We're trying to avoid that. By leaving leaving gates in places where it's like they can just come and just, go as they please. Yeah, easy strategically placed around tree stands or food plots. Places with consistent winds. I say <laughs> you might say that's a little bit cheating. I say it's nah. smart. No, that's just strategy. And so we're gonna be, uh, you know, there's and, a couple of them. I'm like, man, that's gonna be dynamite. They're gonna pour right too. through there. Yeah, turkeys as well. Much easier to call a turkey through a two strand high tensile than it is five strand hog wire or, or, or five yeah. strand barbed wire. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So we're really preparing for the cattle by adding fence, but ultimately adding fence to keep them out of key areas that we know deer like. And at the same time, I mean, we're fencing out spots on the family farm that there's been cattle in my whole life. Yeah. And so I'm curious what that's going to do. We're going to start grazing areas more often than we have in the past. And I'm curious what this is going to do for quail, what mm-hmm. this will do for turkeys, what this will do for the deer. And so, like, I'm I'm super excited to to see those changes coming um, because it's just it's going to be amazing. But it doesn't come without the change. Yeah. And 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 getting to the mindset of I've got loggers coming here. There's going to be down tree tops. They might damage a fence. There's going to be some some tops I need to cut out of some field edges or openings yeah. and and or I'm going to have openings in my timber. There's going to be a new skitter trail all these certain situations that you don't get there without realizing what the change is. But you you don't build a house without building plans. 
You you can't just really start Some that guys thing. Do. You can't really start that thing from scratch and just run with it and and say, well, here here we are. Like that would be intimidating for someone who doesn't do that every day. Yeah. And so you can maybe envision what a house may look like, right? But if you have a plan, a design, and you know specifically what it's going to look like, it's easier to make that decision of, oh, no, I want that type of exterior or that type of roofing or that type of roof line or this type of cabinetry because I know what the end look is, and that's the best route for me to get to that look. It has to be planned out to be able to accept change that you're not used to having change with. I think if anyone is interested of like, okay. The, the last fourth one is edge okay. feathering. That's Oh, that's right. And that's all you because, I mean, I'll do edge feathering later, but that's not a big priority for me right well, now. Well, I mean, edges are, here. here's the, the, the simple, the quick and short of that. Edges are very visible. You're, you're talking about field edges and manipulating. Yeah. Drastically. And I, this is not going to, to the edge and cutting a tree. This is letting the timber decide how deep, um, that that edge really should be how intense do I go right now there's a lot of bush honeysuckle cedar elms some sycamores I mentioned cedar and bush honeysuckle multiflora row like it's just junk growing yeah. around a lot of the edges and which so which is probably one of the same reasons why like your place the, the where the paddocks are the pasture as a whole that's where the cattle were that's where yep. the disturbance were but where you're talking about this edge, the cattle weren't. Nah. And so they've grown up. And I think that's yep. one of the one of the things that I could easily say that's probably why there's more whistling occurring on the neighboring property versus sure. here is there's more disturbance happening over there. Yeah. And so it's like, well, if you want to, if you really want to bring in, and there's a few other things like your pasture is pretty dominated with Very novelty dominated. Fes- fescue. Yeah. Um, and those probably got a lot more weeds. So there's a lot more bugs. Um, so there's just a few little tweaks that you could do to where the whistling happens in your front yard and not Absolutely. over on the neighbor. I mean, there, there's the edges have to be developed to a standpoint and the openings. I mean, we're talking about great edge feathering that will lead eventually into hopefully committing to this winter and fall, but planting a pollinator blend in, in along some of these edges edges of, yeah. of open that aren't pasture they're just kind of odd openings that meander back to a, a barn and so it's like i'm going to utilize that opening for quail and it's almost like this renewed intensity of do i did i think that there's a potential of having quail on the place yeah but kind of slim but hearing them it's yeah. like cranking up that dial 10 10 fold because like no one else is intentionally managing quail you have to intentionally manage them to keep them that's me that's I'm, I put the weight right on my shoulders, and I, it's a task. It's a goal now of create that. It yeah. used to be just strictly my goal is let's have turkeys on this place. I like, only care have, about big deer. Yeah, let, let's let's have turkeys u- using this, you know, frequently because mm-hmm. there there hasn't been a lot of birds, I think, in that area. And and uh, actually, Colby Sharp kind of confirmed. He's like, I don't know of anybody right here in this area that's got routine turkey numbers. So that's kind of a goal, but then hearing the quails, like stack that onto the goal too. Like that's a that's a chance, that's a potential. It's not like a, a far shot um, yeah. or long shot. So hammer the edges. That's going to change the look of the openings. Um, it's going to be shrubby. It's going to be dense. It's going to be nasty there for yeah. a few years. 
but there's blackberry, there's raspberry, there's going to be oak sprouts, way less invasives, and it's going to melt right into beautiful meadow-type pollinator mixes that is applicable to wildlife, our goals, and it's pretty aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. So all that mashed together, yeah, I just know what the long goal is, and I have something, a driver uh, of quail and good nesting brood rearing cover close proximity to one. That's what I want to create and have because I think it's so limited on the landscape, especially in this area. I'm going to make it. Yeah. That's it. That's the goal. Well, hopefully there's some guys that are getting ready for a timber harvest or going through a timber harvest or pondering cattle, pondering cattle, uh, and for sure edge feathering. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I uh, there's a lot of videos on our YouTube channel for edge feathering um, and cattle and cattle. There's some. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to go shoot as soon as I can get <sighs> catch my breath on all the fence building and cattle. I'm gonna go shoot a video um, of the of the growing season fire you and Chad did last oh, yeah. year because it looks amazing. Does it? I Sweet. mean, it is just. It's got. Awesome. Yeah, it's got burn weed. It's got mare's yeah. tail. It's got ragweed. It's got poke weed. It's got all the annuals that. You're just one. like you're expecting. Yep. Then you've got all the the young blackberry coming back. Bare ground and Chad space. already saw fawn a fawn in yep. it. Yep. Um, so we know they're using it, but it's in an area that hopefully there's some more quail. Um, but yeah, uh, just exciting it. times for us. A lot of things happening. You revealed your guys's name. You're going with whispering woodlands. Whistling. Whistling, not whispering. Whistling. It's kind of motivation woodlands. because right now there is some woodlands, but they're not. Whistling as in, because we automatically think of either whistling wings, waterfowl. Obviously, I'm not expecting waterfowl. <laughs> so it's it's quail yeah. is kind of the focus. But there's already a tremendous amount of birds that are in there singing oh, and yeah. calling and birds that we're not – I mean, we've now seen summer and scarlet tanagers, mm-hmm. seen uh, red-breasted grosbeaks, which yeah. I don't see a lot unless that's it's pretty, around a feeder. Birds. And then we've seen ton of indigo bunnings and goldfinches oh, yeah. and – all the other kind of birds that you see in those high insect areas. Um, so we've seen those like crazy. So all those singing, it's it's a woodland that's whistling. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And yep. we changed course. We I had a couple of people reaching out about the fox deal, but we're actually changing and going to something completely off the wall. We're going to call it Elam Ridge. And specifically, there's a, there's a verses that discuss what Elam was for uh, Israelites as they fled Egypt on their exodus, and it's a place of refuge. It's a paradise. Palms and springs were found there. Do you it's plant palm place, trees? No. Oh. It's just a place of, of plenty and a place of refuge. And so we just, that's kind of our, our feelings and thoughts. That's kind of what it's been for, for our wife and hopefully for our future family. So that um, kind of the name and origin of or reason behind Elam Ridge. So hopefully everyone likes it. Hopefully everyone gets in, involved in their property to a degree where you can look back over the course of ownership and say, I changed things. Yeah. And if you want to know what that looks like, check out the other podcast on this week. You will hear about some incredible change from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Guys, appreciate you. We'll catch you next week. See ya. See ya.